This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Today on The Recap, a family and a community still demanding answers. Anger and sorrow tonight as questions linger over the Chicago police shooting of 13-year-old Adam Toledo. Mayor Lightfoot wants a revamp of police procedures. We cannot and will not push the foot pursuit policy reform off for another day. The president pushes up his timetable. Beginning April 19th, every adult in this country is eligible to get in line to get a COVID vaccination. As infections surge in our area. Today, Illinois Department of Public Health officials reported the highest number of new COVID-19 cases since late January. Joining me for those stories and more is Chicago Sun-Times columnist and ABC7 political analyst Laura Washington and WBEZ city politics reporter Becky Beebe. Laura, let's jump right in with the COVID questions. A few weeks ago, we were doing great. Positivity rates in Chicago and across Illinois were at an all-time low. And then it bounces back in the other direction. What's going on here? Well, what's happening is that we're surging and surging in ways we haven't seen since February, at least. The numbers just came out from the state of Illinois just a few minutes ago. There's over 4,000 new cases in Illinois just today. And this has been the pattern for the last couple of weeks particularly in certain parts of the city of Chicago and in some Cook County suburbs, in the suburbs as much as 200% over the last two weeks, even at a time when it sort of of defies expectations because the vaccine is being distributed widely. Uh, The numbers are going up in terms of that, but it doesn't seem to be making as much much of a dent as we'd like it to see in COVID. Wow, those numbers are, are stunning. Becky, some areas have higher cases, right, than others. So Who or where is is getting most hit here by this surge? Dr. Allison Arwitty, the head of the Chicago Department of Public Health, did show some data yesterday on her her weekly Facebook Live. And it's really lighting up on kind of the north side, downtown, Lincoln Park, along the lake. And it's really being driven by young people, you know, under 40, you know, the 18 to 25-year-olds. And we're seeing really a lot of new cases there. One thing I would want to note, we are not seeing hospitals over being overwhelmed or like surges in hospitalizations just yet. Obviously, those hospitalizations are increasing, but they are not increasing at rates that are like what we saw in the winter or even last spring and, and last summer when there were, were increases. So we're seeing cases definitely climb again, and we're seeing them among young people who, you know, frankly, have not been eligible to get vaccinated unless they're essential worker. The cool spots are on the south side and the hot spots are on the north side. Well, Laura, considering there's this rising number of cases, was the loosening of some restrictions like, you know, indoor dining, for instance, was that too soon? Well, some experts are saying that they're saying indoor dining and particularly bars, because, of course, that's where young people really want to gather. 
But there's also an expectation that uh, people are just tired. It, there's a lot of pent-up anxiety, a lot of pent-up impatience, and people can only be locked up and locked down for so long. I suspect it's also partly perhaps, you know, younger people, is, as always, have felt that they're more invincible and maybe because the vaccine has been so widely distributed among their family members, their older family members. Remember all the warnings that they were getting uh, last year and early this year that you need to be safe so that you keep your grandmother safe, your mother safe. Maybe the attitude is the old folks are taking care of, so it's, now it's time for us to have some fun. Right. Sticking with you, Laura, because uh, some other big related news this week, of course, was the president announcing that all adults in the U.S. are going to be eligible to be getting a vaccine by April 19th, which is two weeks earlier than what he originally said, which was May 1st. What do you make of that move? He's been very aggressive about monitoring uh, and increasing vaccinations and making his goal to vaccinate a huge portion of the population by his first 100 days. And so he, this is a follow-up to that. He's, he wants to accelerate the pace of vaccinations, and, and the president's promised supplies will be there and ready for folks. There's some, some concern about that here in Chicago. The, the mayor, Mayor Lightfoot, has held back on, uh, until he made that recent announcement this week, he should held back on promising that she would lower the, the age in, to 16. But now she's saying she's going to agree with Biden's policy. But there's been some concern locally that the supplies may not be able to match demand. Turning now to another story, uh, I want to talk about the police killing of, of 13-year-old Adam Toledo. This week, we saw the calls grow louder from the Little Village community, uh, calling for the release of the police video. Can you tell us more about that, Becky? Well, you know, it's interesting. The family, I believe, last night put out a statement saying that they have not yet seen this video and that, you know, it is their understanding and it is the position of the of the city and the police department that the family would see it first mm -hmm. um, before it gets released to the public. So... I think there's this sense that it will be released. The question is when and, of course, when the family will get to see it versus the public. The mayor is calling for the Chicago Police Department to adopt a new foot pursuit policy, too, right? Laura, can you break that down for us? What is the mayor asking for and, and how long in the making is all of this? Well, this this has been in the making for, for for most of her term. She's using this as an opportunity to sort of build up momentum uh, and push the police department to reform the foot pursuit policy. There's a lot of questions about the practice in the past. Uh, there needs to be more regulation. The mayor sees this as an example in terms of all the confusion around uh, this shooting. She sees this as an example of, again, of, of raising questions about this. So she's basically demanding that the police department and Superintendent Brown get on the stick and get something in place sooner rather than later. This was actually part of the original federal consent decree. This is one of the recommendations and, and commands of that consent decree, and, but it's been moving pretty slowly up till now. And so how is CPD responding so far? What, what are we hearing the, from the superintendent? Where I, David Brown says he's on it. He listens to the mayor when the mayor <laughs> talks, and so I'm sure that he he will move ahead. It's, it's unclear uh, what is taking so long or why this is such a, a complicated issue. But uh, hopefully this terrible shooting will give it some momentum. That's Laura Washington of the Sun-Times and ABC7. Also joining us today on The Recap, WBEZ's Becky Vivi. Laura, Becky. Here are some other stories that we need to get to today. A new Illinois law could change the tenor and result of negotiations between Chicago Public Schools and the district's teachers union. Every politician who's ever run has said, oh, no, I'm committed to protecting pensions for our first responders. 
Well, the way that you protect them is you ensure that you're not kicking the can down the road. One suburb rejects a controversial policing proposal as two other villages reelect mayors who faced federal indictment. Tonight, doctors are working to save this 21-month-old boy's life after he was shot in the head while traveling in a car on Lakeshore Drive. Another child in critical condition, another mother crying. On Tuesday morning, there was a shooting on Lakeshore Drive near Grant Park. It left a toddler, 21-month-old Caden Swan, in critical condition. Although we understand his condition is improving, Laura, tell us more about the incident and the fallout from it. It was a car chase. Two uh, drivers got into some kind of a conflict on Lakeshore Drive. Uh, all the details are not clear, but it may have started as far south as 35th Street and went all the way through downtown. At some point, guns were fired. At first, the police department said the drivers in each vehicle fired at one another, and it was suggested that the driver of the vehicle that the little boy was in fired first. That story is being revised, and it looks like the police department and prosecutors are now saying that perhaps the first shot came from the other vehicle. The gentleman who was in the car, the boyfriend of the grandmother of the boy who was shot, who was driving that car, was arrested, uh, questioned, um, but he was released. And now police seem to be uh, suggesting that he perhaps did not fire a shot at all. There's still a lot of questions about this case, and, and the other driver is still at large. It's a terrible case, and perhaps only the, the only positive news that's coming out of it right now is, as you say, that the little boy seems to be improving. You know, Laura, the, these stories, you know, Caden's story, Adam's story, they're a stark reminder that the number of shooting victims here in Chicago in, in just these first few months of 2021 alone, it already climbed past 700. That's 200 more than this time last year. What do we know about what's driving this? What's driving it is guns. You know, there's a lot of conversation, national conversation, about some of the mad, terrible mass shootings we've seen in the last several weeks and months. Um, but, you know, that you don't call these incidents mass shootings because maybe the numbers are smaller on an individual basis. But when you're looking at, you know, multiple, multiple murders and dozens of shootings every weekend, and you see a time coming for summer yeah. where you, you can expect the violence will be even greater, it's, it's very concerning. It's all about the guns. It's yeah, happening every availability day. Availability of guns on the street. The president uh, issued, uh, announced yesterday that he's going to issue some executive orders, executive actions to try to curb the availability of guns. But I think it may be a drop in the, in the bucket because there's such a vast availability of guns, and particularly for Chicago, because even though we have stricter gun laws than most states, the states around us are pretty much the wild, wild west, so it's very easy to bring guns into Chicago and into our state. How are city officials responding? You know, the mayor and, and David Brown have, have repeatedly said that they want to get it under control, but the numbers don't reflect that. David Brown's tried a number of different strategies and techniques since he's been on the job a year or so, but um, people are, are, are out of solutions right now. All right, let's turn to uh, another story here. Um, the governor has signed a few bills this past week that didn't go over well with Mayor Lightfoot. You know, one that had to do with pensions for Chicago firefighters, another one that had to do with the Chicago Teachers Union. Becky, let's start with the Teachers Union. What happened? Mm -hmm. So this is um, a bill that restores a number of collective bargaining rights that over the years were taken away from the Chicago Teachers Union. One notable one that's a little more recent that people might remember is their ability to bargain over the length of the school day. That was removed right before Rahm Emanuel took office. Um, that is now restored under this bill. And, you know, it's a really pretty big deal for the Chicago Teachers Union because in particular they have had a hard time 
trying to bargain over anything that wasn't really wages and benefits and health insurance. Um, and they were able to really under Karen Lewis's leadership, make their contract fights about broader issues. Um, they built a lot of coalitions with community groups in Chicago and were able to kind of overcome the lack of those bargaining rights. This bill really restores that in a way where you know, they won't have to, I guess, fight so hard uh, in terms of like the collective organizing that they've had to do in the past. And the reason, you know, of course, Mayor Lightfoot is not a big fan of this is is it makes negotiations more complicated um, because there's more cards on the table. You know, yeah. the previous setup really gave a lot more power to management. And this bill will, will put some more cards on the table and allow the union to really negotiate over more issues. And frankly, issues that I would say that, that the leadership of the teachers union have been fighting for in the last decade, issues like smaller class size uh, and, you know, the quality of the school day and the number of social workers and counselors. Those were issues that they really pushed hard to, to bargain over. But legally didn't really, you know, there was no nothing at the table that required the management to talk to them about those things. And so it's a it's a pretty big win for the CTU. But of course, you know, Lightfoot's not not a big fan. And right. I think it says something also about her relationship with the Pritzker administration and the Springfield legislature and, and how much sway, if any, she has downstate. Well, Laura, as Becky mentioned, this is a big deal for the teachers union. The mayor's not happy with it. She warned the governor against signing the bill, yet the governor threw his support behind it. Why? Well, the governor is very union sensitive, as, as, as most uh, leading Democrats in the state are. And and this was something that, that passed of the legislature. And I think he, it would have been very politically treacherous for him to veto a bill that was going to support union rights. As Becky says, these are some rights that the teachers union has, has been fighting for for over a decade, and, and many reasonable people think that there, there are issues that the teachers' union should be able to help decide. It may say something about um, Lori Lightfoot's lack of political clout in Springfield, but it also says something about Prisker's ability to want to be able to keep unions happy. Well, you know, the other bill that the governor signed that had to do with the uh, Chicago firefighter pensions, Laura, talk to us more about that, because the mayor warned Pritzker that this bill could cost Chicago taxpayers up to $30 million. Now, considering Chicago's current finances, you know, even before this pandemic, where would that funding come from? Right, right. Well, uh, it would come, uh, Governor Prisker said after he signed the bill that he he's hopeful that it might come from a source such as the, sell, the sale of the state of Illinois building, um, which is, of course, been discussed for many, many years now, but he's hoping that the sale of that building would then put that building back on the tax rolls and would provide some additional tax revenue to the city of Chicago because, of course, it's, it's located in downtown Chicago. It would be a big tax boom to the city, but uh, like you say, we're, we're looking at $30 million that would go into effect, a $30 million possible increase that would go into effect now uh, because of the increase in fire, fire's pension, but the, the numbers on the state of Illinois building are a ways off. Can you add to that? Becky, this firefighter yeah, so pension? The firefighter's pension is the, one of the four city funds, and it's the one that's the least funded, and it has been the least funded for a very long time. Now, the property tax increase in 2015 that Mayor Manuel passed was designed to get all four of those back on track, and they, 
know, they are, but they are also not, you know, they've now been hit by a bad economy again. And um, that $30 million figure is really, again, another attempt to get that, that fund more solvent. And so, yes, the money's got to come from somewhere. But again, it, it's either we do it now or we wait way longer and it potentially costs even more because all four of these funds are very underfunded. And whenever Springfield takes an action like this, it's usually to try to get those funds back on track so that we don't see those numbers balloon even worse in 10 or 15 more years. This past Tuesday was election day for Chicago suburbs voting on municipal races. Now, folks cast their ballots for mayor, for village president and school board races as well. Typically, school board races, though, they don't get a ton of attention or or drama, but not this year. They were hot. What was going on there, Becky? You know, it's funny. I um, I covered school boards for so long, and I haven't covered them much lately. And I certainly, um, you know, just watched from afar. From afar, uh, what okay. Was going down on Tuesday, <laughs> but you know, I I think there's a lot of issues with schools right now. Reopening, virtual learning. Folks want their schools to be strong, and and right now schooling and the state of in-person schools is a big question mark. So, Were you paying attention to the drama, Laura? Yes, I was. And I actually think it's, <laughs> it's exciting that people are, I think Becky's right. I think that the, the whole drama around COVID and around schools reopening, I think has activated a lot of uh, a lot of people in, in communities that, that had not been closely aligned with politics before. And so I think that's good, bringing new people into the conversation, not only on the school board level, but there are several uh, mayoral elections that made history in Flossmoor. We had the first woman mayor elected, and that happened in, in a few other places. And so I think that the, the idea that people are getting activated and new voices are coming to the table, partly because of the hardship we've been under for the last year or so, that's sort of a silver lining. Mm-hmm. You know, school board races, like, you know, are they're not usually uh, or they're not officially partisan. Uh, but this year, many were quite divisive. Can you talk about what kind of role you think politics played in creating this kind of dynamic? They say that all politics are local, but local, but I think national politics have sort of set the tone. We've had a debate over the last year about shutdowns. We've had a debate over civil liberties. There have been a lot of extremist debates on, on both sides of the aisle. And I think you're seeing that play out uh, in some of these races, that people are feeling that their voices are not being heard, that some of the extreme voices are being heard. And, and I think that that started in Washington with, the, with the, the, the deep divides and divisiveness we've seen there for the last years. And it's playing out on a local level here. Yeah. What do you think, Becky? How, how is politics playing in here? Yeah, I think Laura hit it on the head. I think, you know, I mean, you could argue the last four years of the Trump administration has really activated people, again, on both sides of the aisle to get involved. You know, people who really never wanted to get involved or never had any interest have suddenly been more interested. And especially those less experienced folks, they're going to start out in these small races. They're going to start out with, okay, I'll give my, I'll give it a try on the school board or I'll run for, you know, the city council in my little suburb. And both parties have you know, programs really that that recruit and train new and young interested people to be politically active. And so, you know, I think obviously politics is definitely at play. And I think both parties are interested in capturing younger blood into the party, um, if you will. And so you're going to see that play out first in the hyper local races. Yeah, Politics is at play with everything these days. (laughs) Um, Laura, I want to touch quickly on this uh, column that you wrote in the Sun-Times this week around the future of public transit here in Chicago. And it was 
really a, a call to action, right? Because you say, as we look to return to normal, we quote, we must do it via the CTA, unquote. So make your pitch. Why is this important and why now? Well, because we we have to get the CTA to return to normal. Uh, ridership is down, as you, as you can imagine, dramatically. Uh, there was a 57% decline in ridership, CTA bus ridership over last year. That continues because people are wary of taking public transportation during a pandemic. But with that, the revenues for these public transportation outlets are not just the CTA, but Metro and Pace are just way off. And if not for the hundreds of millions of dollars that the federal government has been able to infuse into the, these systems, they wouldn't even be running today. There's a lot of reluctance to go back. If far fewer people will be commuting in the future. It raises a lot of questions. So there's not a better time, a more important time than ever for us to support the CTA. I, as I wrote in my column, I'm a lifelong writer of the CTA, and I've been taking it throughout the pandemic. And there are challenges, and the CTA needs to do a better job of cleaning up its act and getting its uh, house in order in terms of the operation. But I think we have to support that. Well, that is it for our weekly news recap. I want to thank Chicago Sun-Times columnist Laura Washington and WBEZ City Politics reporter Becky Vivi. Thank you so much for stopping by. And that's WBEZ's weekly news recap. If you depend on these deep dives into big local news stories, take 30 seconds and give us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. Don't forget, you'll hear the latest and best weekly Q&A around the pandemic and the vaccines right here. Just open your phone Sunday morning and it'll be in this podcast feed. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.